1: and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall, and I am flying solo for this episode because we have got so many interviews for you this week that we have very little time for chit-chat in between. Last week's show was obviously very CPL-focused. We're back talking Whitecaps and MLS though this week, as we sit down for one-on-one chats with sporting director and CEO Axel Schuster and Whitecaps head coach Mark DeSantos. And just when it was looking all quiet on the Western Front, there's been a lot of Whitecaps news come out in the last couple of days. In this part, we're going to look at the return to play. Exactly what lies in store for the Whitecaps and the other two MLS teams in phase one of the league's return to play became known on Thursday. And it's coming pretty soon, Tuesday to be exact. And then after that, the games are going to be coming pretty thick and fast for all three of the Canadian teams. And it was what was murmured, it was what everyone was expecting. It's a round-robin series where each team will play each other three times in teams' respective home stadiums. With not just MLS points on the line, but also the added incentive that whatever Canadian team ends up from all these matches with the best points total will advance into this year's Canadian Championship final to take on whoever wins the CPL Island Games out in PEI. So a little bit of extra added spice there for Vancouver, Toronto and Montreal. The return to play of the three Canadian sides for MLS matches In their home stadiums, is going to feature comprehensive health and safety protocols. It's going to include regular testing of the players, coaches and essential staff for COVID-19. Everyone is going to get tested every other day, including the day before each match day. Guidelines will also be issued to players, coaches and staff so they can avoid the risk of contracting and spreading COVID during their time away from club facilities. And if anyone's been following what's been happening over in Scotland with Aberdeen and Celtic, I think the need to stress that to players is very evident. Hopefully there will be no incidents like that here in Canada and hopefully we won't have any more incidents that we saw earlier on in lockdown that affected Jordi Reyna and Jasser Kamiri. Fans will not be allowed into the games. Select media will be, but it's going to be in very limited numbers. So the Whitecaps kick things off with a nine day road trip they leave on Monday August 17th fly to Toronto for a pair of matches at BMO Field taking on TFC on Tuesday August 18th 5pm Pacific Time kick off there then three days later the teams are at it again Friday August 21st another 5pm Pacific Time kick off at BMO then the Whitecaps follow that up by heading north to Montreal to take on the Impact at Saputo Stadium on Tuesday, August 25th, again a 5pm Pacific Time kickoff. off The Whitecaps then get an 11-day break before TFC make the journey west to take on the Caps at BC Place, Saturday, September 5th, 6.30pm is the kickoff time for that one. And in between the Caps playing Montreal and then TFC coming here, Montreal and Toronto are going to be playing on August 28th at Saputo and then the return fixture at BMO on Tuesday, September 1st. Toronto then fly home from Vancouver to take on the Impact on September 9th at Saputo before the Whitecaps and Montreal round off these selection of matches in Phase 1, playing at BC Place on Sunday, September 13th and then Wednesday, September 16th. Both of those are going to be 6.30pm Pacific Time kickoffs. So exciting stuff. All the teams are going to be back in action. I know they're chomping at the bit. All the Whitecaps players that did not travel down to Orlando for COVID reasons are going to be available to play in this one. There's still some injury worries hanging around the squad, but we'll we'll come to that later. But the, the burning question is still what is going to happen after phase one wraps up on September 16th. We know that whatever club has the best points total after that is going to be playing the winner of the CPL Island Games to claim this year's Canadian Championship in a one-off game. Don't know where that's going to be yet, whether it's going to be in PEI or whether they're going to fly to somewhere else. But then after that, everything seems still pretty vague. All the rumours are that if the border remains closed, and right now the Canadian-US border is closed until at least September 21st, And the way things are going down in the US, it's hard to see that changing. So all the murmurs are that the three Canadian teams will have to relocate to somewhere in the US to play their matches for Phase 2. There'll be 12 additional games in that phase, with the regular season wrapping up on Decision Day on November 8th. The MLS Cup playoffs begin on November 20th, with 8 teams from the West, 10 teams from the East qualifying for it then the MLS Cup is set for December 12th. So it's a real mishmash of a season. The the rumours have been that the Whitecaps are going to relocate to Portland if they have to go down to the US, with both Toronto and Montreal rumoured to be playing out of New York Red Bull Stadium, which seems crazy because New York City FC are also meant to be playing out of there, so you're looking at four teams playing in that stadium. Of course they are all Eastern teams, which makes it a lot easier. And with how things are playing out in the US and not really showing any signs of getting better, it's really hard to imagine that all the Whitecaps players are going to commit to leaving their families, going down to the States and playing out of that. But there's no point speculating too much on that just now, that is still to come and I'm sure we'll have a lot more chat about that in the coming weeks. But it is exciting that we're going to have some more Whitecaps MLS matches to talk about. Right now the Whitecaps are sitting 8th in the Western Conference which would be the final playoff position in the West this season tied in 6 points with RSL but they have the tiebreaker with one more win so far so a lot to think about so with phase 1 in mind I'm going to bring you part 1 of my chat with Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster where we'll look at this announcement of the fixtures that are coming and just have a little chat with Axel about taking up the dual role and a few more things as well Here's Axel Schuster. So Axel, this is the first time I've really had a chance to talk to you one-on-one since the, the, the new dual jobs role. Obviously, it's a a difficult time just in general to to be managing any football clubs. But how have you found the balance so far of being sporting director and CEO?
2: No, I, I that's not the problem. It's it's only more work, but uh, the balance is okay because uh, um, I was anyway. I was locked in a in a hotel room in Orlando for a lot of time. So I and and we do all this business here on on such platforms like Zoom and and other other platforms so I have a lot of time to work uh, unfortunately my family is not here so uh, and and on the other side that's good because it gives me a lot of time to work uh, I have been in the 14 days of quarantine I was sitting the whole time at home so uh, to to work a lot helps in such moments <laughs> so um, so it's it's only more work but uh, the balance is not the problem and and uh, I would say Outside of COVID, I think we maybe would be even, or, or, or there would be some more things we could do on the sporting side, but we are very restricted and limited in the things we can do on the sporting side. So, uh, as you maybe know, the whole academy is 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 not training since since the beginning of that. So yeah, um, and we still sorting out how we come back in in a more regular scenario there. So, so a few steps we we had in our mind and we wanted to do, we we couldn't do anyway so that gives me some more time on the business side.
1: The The difference between like being the sporting director and the, the business guy is it easy to, to split the two I mean if normally I guess like if you identify a player you'd maybe go to the CEO and say we want to bring this guy in but you're the CEO now so does that give you a lot more autonomy just to bring in and shape the club the way that you want it?
2: No, I have to correct this vision because uh, the setup here in the club was for, from the very first beginning different. So um, it was uh, the spotting, the, uh, the CEO was taking care for the business side and the spot as me as a spotting director was taking care for the footballing side, but both of us report directly to the ownership. So we won. It was not like that that I discussed with the CEO at any time about things like that. So it, 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 I would discuss immediately with the ownership. So it was like, uh, sporting director and CEO have been on the same level. So this discussion are not gone because uh, I still discuss with the same guys in, in, in case I have to discuss. But I think um, as we, we, we always speak about business and footballing side, and and I think what is what is business? So this is always my question. What is business? So somebody say, yeah, selling tickets. I said, but you are not selling selling, selling tickets as footballing because you are not selling tickets without a footballing side. Okay, we are we're selling uh, sponsorship deals, and I said, yeah, but you are only selling sponsorship deals because of the footballing side. So I think our business is soccer. Our business is the game, and and the most important business day is our game day because that that's the day where we all come together. That's the day where where we where we do the business for to sell tickets, to de- sell sponsorship deals, and all of that. To to have both combined, it makes totally sense because uh, it 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 shows very clear that, that uh, there is only one thing we should focus on. And, and as I very often said, if we want to build a face for this franchise, uh, what is our face? So we speak about that, what our team is. So we said, Canada first. So we want to be this Canadian team. But in the same time, we want to be that team that outworks the opponent, that, that always is the, this, this team with a lot of talent that we want to develop and that always works very hard. So at least even if we are not getting the results, everybody has to give us credit that we worked hard. So if we would say that's the phase of our franchise, I, I I see no chance that if you connect with the business side to get, to buy a, a Jersey or to buy a ticket, that there is a lazy guy. So, so, because that doesn't fit together. So at the end, um, both sides are way close to connected. If you want to build a culture and you want to build a, a, you want to build a phase of a franchise and you want to say that's it's about. So, if you say the fans that's it's about our, our club, then it has to be in every single department of the club. So, from my side, it makes absolutely sense. What, it do, what does it mean also? Of course, uh, and that's my way of leadership always, uh, I, I, I trust in, in people. So, I trust in, in, in the senior leadership group that is working with me together and i am not the guy who 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 is better at financials than my financial guy i'm not the guy who is better at at uh at uh, selling partnership deals than the partnership guy so it's it's uh it's about getting everybody done to do the best job he can do but not to do the job by myself that's impossible yeah
1: i spoke with, with mark Panes about this before he left and i've spoken to a couple of other ceos at, around the league No matter what training you've had, what business training you've had, in my previous life, I I was a bank manager, so we went through lots of of training with how to run businesses and stuff like that. Nothing ever prepares you for something like this. How challenging has it been trying to just basically run the team whilst there's a pandemic on and basically everything's out the window? Or do you see this as a, a great opportunity to explore new ideas?
2: Yeah, I'm not the typ- typical footballing guy, by the way. So this this maybe is also different because uh, I'm a sporting director, not the former football player. And mm-hmm. also as a sporting director, I I, I studied law, so I have a law degree, uh, master mm-hmm. in law. So I I was always working on business sides and clubs because as I started in Mines of Five, there was, there was no there was no office. There were there were two two other employees in an office. So 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 you I was also running business elements and at Schalco for a club with 1,700 employees, you, you're, a, you're, a, you're the guy who is connected with all the other departments as well. And, and there, there was a, there was this uh, leadership group where we discussed all, all, uh, parts of the business and there it's very clear that football is, is, is very influential to, to all the other parts as well, because you're because it's uh, it's it's more about the game there than about the business sometimes in in this in this club. so so it's not like that i'm I'm the the guy who was a former player who's now a sporting director, and suddenly I have to run a business. So it's it's uh, uh, I worked in the company of my father, who is a who's a very successful businessman. So for me, it's not not totally new. Um, but anyway, nobody, you're never prepared for for such a situation like now. With the with the with the COVID area, what what helped, and I would say I would struggle, well, not struggle, but it would be much more complicated if they would sign if if I would be signed last November for both jobs, um, because now I started into this role at a point where uh, where I thought that we did a very good step on the uh, footballing side, because uh, I know exactly that that I. I uh, uh, After our LA Galaxy game, I I was on a trip to Europe to to meet some guys and uh, there uh, and to connect with some some guys and I was in the plane and flying from from LA to to Europe and I was thinking, hey, we have done some good steps. It, it, so we won this game, but it was also the way how we won it, how we played the preseason, how a player like Bickel, who played the first time in in LA, how how he played. So so I I, I think. In the moment where I took over the other side, uh, we already had a good basis on the footballing side. And as I said, right now we are not doing a lot. No, no, not we are doing a lot, but we are very limited in the things we can do on the footballing side. So yeah. now it's a lot more about the, the business side and, and, and that will change again. But uh, it's also now to find the right setup for the business, business side. And there is no question. After 10 years in, in this league and uh, 10 years of this franchise, Um, things have to be changed we want also to use this crisis we want to use this this moment to to find a better setup to to restructure the club a little bit and to find a better setup and to rethink about a few things and to add a few things to make us more ready for 21 and to to be to 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 do all these changes now in a time where we anyway have a crisis and a lot of things are different. And and then if we go back to a normal business, we want to have the best possible setup. The MLS
1: season is obviously getting back underway. And for phase one's been announced. It's, it's all in Canada. Now, the rumors had come out weeks ago that that was going to be the case, but it's only just been kind of finalized. Can you maybe talk through what those discussions were like? And what what was the delay in getting it announced? Was it just that all the three different health authorities had to be on the same page with everything?
2: Yeah, I think that it it was not so much delay. the the problem was the the problem at all was that we only have three teams and want to play the same number of games than U.S. teams. Yeah, and that that with three teams, you only you always have one team that's not playing. So the unpaired number is is not a, not really helpful. Um, so. We had to build a schedule that works for three teams to play the same number of games than six teams in in the in u s so so this this was one one uh one part of problem, not problem, but this was one thing that had that had to be solved and and yes i I don't get tired. this country is doing a great job, so maybe think i i i I said that before we went to orlando. Uh, yes. Maybe things t- uh, take a little bit more time. We were not the first team going back to phase one individual workouts. We have not been the first team that goes went on to the full team tra- back to full team training. Um, because, but why? Because we are in Canada and, and, and we are here in Canada doing things different. And I would always support to say we are doing that better. So. So for that reason, for that reason, whatever time it takes, I think at the end, we always find a good solution here in Canada.
1: With the teams being so far apart, obviously Vancouver's got a lot of travel and then the the Eastern teams have to come back to here. Was it ever considered to have just a one-off Canadian bubble that all three teams were there? Or was it important to be in the home markets?
2: No, everybody wanted to play in his so home markets as that is easily possible. So, so no, yeah, it's far away, but, but, oh yeah, we are speaking about much bigger problems than, than the distance. So, uh, uh, I think the distance was never a problem. It was only clear that we said, if we go, then we go for all three games at once and we don't fly three times. to the yeah. east. That makes no sense. But, uh, that is a way easy thing to manage and to build in the schedule. So now everybody wanted to play at home. So, uh, there was never this discussion. I, I, and there was no need for that because the situation in all three markets is good. So, no, no. Okay.
1: Now, I heard you on the, the main call earlier, just at the end, talking about you You don't really know what the future is and you don't want to address that, obviously, until these the first phase is out of the way. So if we're looking at phase one, there were some players that did opt out of Orlando for various reasons, some medical, some their own decisions. Are you expecting to have... Aside from Max and any injuries, are you expecting to have the full complement of players playing it in this phase?
2: For the phase in Canada, yeah, yes, yes, no, okay. no question. I, I don't ask because I'm a, I'm I'm afraid about the phase after Canada, but yeah. Uh, so we have to know it, it. It at the end it was a it was a. Uh, at the end, we were lacking a lot of players, but for a lot of different reasons. So we had the injuries: uh, Eric Godoy, Bikel, uh, Max Kipor, and, and, and also David, and uh, who was injured at the end. Uh, we had the situation with Andy Rose, and um, uh, he he opted out for 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 different reasons. So yeah. he he was always good to go, but as 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 it uh, as it becomes more and more clear that he maybe only go for one game and has to go home with a with a um commercial flight what is from orlando to Vancouver maybe also not the safest thing to do um he opted out because uh, of the birth of uh, the birth of his kid so we had toss who had a had a real medical issue not to go and uh, I only and we never spoke about that but toss reached out during the time in Orlando and he wanted to come because the, the medical issue was solved uh, or, or yeah it was it was good again and then he, he wanted to come, but the problem was the 14 days of quarantine. So even yeah. if he would come, he would not be eligible for 14 days. And we said that makes no sense to come in with a commercial flight and quarantine for 14 days and maybe only going back. Because we always said the the main priority is to, to, to the safety and security of our players. So it would be easy to say "Toss, come and if you stay in the tournament for longer, you can play at one point, but no, we had Brian Meredith with this very sad story. Yeah. So, we had a we had a lot of different reasons, but none none of this reason is now existent anymore. Of course, unfortunately, some injuries, and then um, and yeah, as, yeah, and and then uh, uh, we 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 are not concerned about our trip in Canada and and about phase two after that. We don't know because right now we are looking to yeah. find. A, a very good solution, and to find also again a solution that that where safety and security of our our staff and players is is the first and main issue.
1: I know you can't go into the discussions about the phase two, and I won't put you on the spot with that. Everyone's kind of seen probably rumours and stuff online, but I mean, it, as far as you know, is there an option that if you weren't happy because you had to say relocate to the US, can the club say no? Or do you have to commit now to the end of the season?
2: The answer is very easy. I, haven't, I have never thought about that, and we have never asked about that because that's really not the way how we want to do things. Right. So we, we we always think that we find a solution, and and that was the same with with Orlando. And everybody knows that we pushed back several times to go to Orlando because we didn't felt that that everything was was solved for 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 also our knowledge and our rules and our protocols that we put in place for ourselves with uh, I, I said, we, we built a, we built British Columbia in, in, in Orlando all for all, the British yeah. Columbia Canadian flag. So, so we always feel good that we find a solution at the end. So whatever, whatever the problems are that, that are ahead of us, we, 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 we have a very good team. A lot of guys are working very hard on, on, on solutions, but right now we are really focused on, on, on on the number one perfect solution for us in 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 all of that yeah. so um and uh, we are we are it's not like that there's only five percent of chance and and we we run <laughs> we, we we are focused on something that really not makes no sense we we feel we we, we still see a good chance to get things done in a good way
1: So that was part one of our chat with Axel Schuster, just looking at the Whitecaps fixtures that have come out and what might lie ahead, along with how he's settling into his dual role. But I also had a, a chat with Axel just about departing players and some possible new additions. And we're going to talk about that after this.
3: Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
1: Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's this episode's song from AFTN's Artist of the Month for August, Scottish band Mogwai. That was the opening track from their fifth full-length studio album, Mr. Beast, released in 2006. And that was Otto Rock. As I mentioned in last week's show, sometimes it's a little bit hard to get just a good bit of a Mogwai song to give you the full flavour of it. But I think that one captured it just nicely. But let's get back to the Whitecaps chat now and our chat with Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster. Now in part one, we looked at the return to play. And when the Whitecaps take the pitch this coming week for their, their two matches against TFC they're going to be doing so one member down. Korean midfielder and designated player Inbom Wong has moved on to pastures new in Russia, joining Russian Premier League club FC Rubin Kazan for a, a reported fee, according to Transfer Market, of around 2.5 million euros, so about 2.9 to 3 million American dollars. In theory, that gives the Whitecaps a profit of about a million But taking away different fees and cuts and stuff like that, it's probably going to give them round about half a million dollars in GAM, according to the wonderful Glass City that kind of worked that out. The Whitecaps also retain a percentage of future transfer fees. Again, that's rumoured to be about 25%. So it's a a good bit of business for the Whitecaps. And I'll be honest, I'm not too disappointed to, to see Wong move on. I just don't think he brought to the club what we needed, A, in a a difference-making midfielder, and B, in a designated player. Now, I've spoken before that as soon as you give a player that DP tag, it's kind of like a millstone around their neck, and it is. It raises expectations of that player. And we've spoken about it before, Zach in particular. Your average Whitecaps DP is not quite the same as a lot of the DPs that you're going to find elsewhere in the league. We've gone for a a lot more unproven guys or guys that have great future potential that are wanting to use MLS as a shop window to move on to bigger and better things. It's worked for the likes of Inbom Wong. Others that we've brought here, it's not quite worked out the same way. Joaquin Ardiez, Octavio Rivero, just a couple of names that, that spring to mind. And for me, I just... Don't think Enbaum fully settled in Major League Soccer. He was speaking a couple of times, especially in the off-season, about his desire to move to Europe. So, I mean, was his heart really here? Obviously, he's going to play for the jersey. We spoke about it before that we were told he carried what being a designated player means quite heavily on his shoulders and I think it maybe put a little bit too much pressure on him that never saw him fully reach the potential that he could do. Part of that as well was probably that he was playing last season non-stop, coming off a super long season, and it was pretty much an ever-present for Mark De Santos and the Whitecaps team. This season, we might have seen a, a much more impactful in Bom Wong, but of course COVID kind of derailed all that, and when he went down to Orlando, we just didn't see him he kind of he was almost invisible in the matches that we played down there he had very little impact as far as I was concerned so I think it's a good bit of business for the Whitecaps to move it on it frees up a designated player spot it also brings some money into the club but the downside of that is it's doing both these things right in the middle of a pandemic where the global transfer market has completely changed you've got quarantine coming into countries And basically what that means is if the Whitecaps look to bring a player in, in terms of negotiations, quarantine, visas, everything that goes with that, getting up to match fitness, you're looking at about 8-10 to weeks before that guy is really going to be ready to play. So that obviously leaves a massive hole in the Whitecaps midfield and it's, it's one that frankly they do not have the personnel on the squad right now that I think can adequately fill that hole. It's maybe a stopgap and a temporary plug, but it's how leaky that plug is going to be. The big question now, of course, is just when will the Whitecaps replace Nbom Wong, and with whom? Will it be from within the league? Will it be from outside the league? Will it be a known player, a proven player, or will it be another kind of untested guy that the Whitecaps are hoping to get the better of? Well, these were just some of the things I chatted to Axel Schuster about in the second part of our interview this week. And let's bring you that just now. So obviously, in Bomb Wong, it's been announced uh, this morning that he has left, he's, he's gone to Russia. You've spoken a lot earlier in the year that you felt the squad was set and you weren't actively looking to to add anyone. That, does that now change in this transfer window? Do you have to add a midfielder? Because it has felt that the midfield is an area that has been lacking in this
2: team. We don't feel under pressure for anything. I think this we, we played in Orlando with, without a lot of players and I still think we were able... Uh, we were able to to bring a, a team onto the pitch that that didn't play it, uh the best we could can do if we have every player eligible but but still uh, performed in a in a way that that satisfies us and and it's as we said we are we're in the process of development so so we 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 want to develop players we went for a lot of young guys so if it is what it is uh we can also have Imbom still here and he is injured and out for a few weeks. Then we also have to find a solution. So we are not feeling under pressure. Uh, and as I said before, we would not have a player who can help us immediately because uh, with all, all the all the barriers of quarantine and and visa yeah. process and all of that. If you have not been on at the beginning, I said, if the players from South America, Middle America, Africa, or for example from a country like like Serbia we don't see a chance that he will play here within an 8, eight, eight or 10 weeks. So what is in 8 or 10 weeks? If you we look at the schedule also for phase two, there are not so many games after that. So mm. so it was part of our consideration as we sold Imbom that we have to be very satisfied with the offer and that we have to have a remarkable profit that to to do this in the middle of a season in a moment where we know that we are not he is not easily to to replace not because there are not players out in the market only because of the logistical side of that so so what does it change if we if we go immediately or we we find the right profile in two weeks not so much so so from this from this point um, we yes we see we saw anyway a need and we were that were were already preparing and looking for that for next season to to find a midfielder who is attacking the goal more than than Imbom's it's in-bombs style of play and that that's not criticism it's it's only a a different type of player so yeah. so we we have ideas but we we now have to check what of that what kind of these ideas or what is is now easily to do or it's 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 possible by now in the same time since two weeks we are a little bit more focused on that and look what the market is about right now the market is very special because of covid so um so yes we are looking for 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 that that right profile that fits to our culture and, and to our needs and and in the same time it we want to to get a good deal done we will we are, not, we are we are luckily in a in situation that we have not the pressure to do it for any price. So if, if, if it is not the right deal, then, then, then we will wait. And, and it's another chance for young Canadian guys to play maybe mm-hmm. so as it was in Orlando. And uh, that's also something that we are focused on and uh, we really like to do. And, and I think uh, uh, if every play, if everybody would be in Orlando, every of our players would be there that would maybe mean less minutes for for uh, Theo um, Theo so there's always always something good in, in all of that so so we are we are not complaining we are we are not looking for excuses we are looking to do to do the things in a way that that helps us in the long term we are not focused on of course yeah we want to win this canadian championship we want to win uh, we want to win the next game but If all of that, what we do, helps us to be a better club in 21, then it's also fine.
1: When you're talking to players right now, like potential new players, is it easier to to interest them in Canada because obviously we're doing a lot better with the virus than than other places in the world, or because of the whole uncertainty and... Like, for example, if you're not able to play phase two in Canada, stuff like that, does that kind of throw a spanner in the works? Or are you finding people are maybe quite keen to come over here now?
2: It has not been really part of the discussion. I think uh, the world, it is all over the world. It's, it's, it's special and, and and I don't know about the situation in every single market. Uh, of course, uh, Canada and, and British Columbia and, and how the things are here. Are, is all, are always is is always a good argument <laughs> that's be, before the is and with the wires. So it's it, I would say it I would say it different. It's it's not a reason for somebody to be concerned of of, uh, of signing into to to a one of our offers. So uh, it's yeah yes yeah. it, it's always a plus to be here in, in such a location.
1: You've touched on it a, a couple of times, uh, talking about the, the, the academy, they're not training just now, looking at the best way to restructure the, the club for, for the future. Now, we've got the academy, we've got the under-23 development team, and there's been sort of some murmurs that MLS are maybe looking at doing an under-23 league, for for example, but the, the problem that we've had here in Vancouver way before you came, after WFC2 wound up, is that pathway to get these guys playing regularly. So you've got the CPL, you've got a lot of the, the teams I'm seeing. Toronto's loaned out a few of the guys. What, what do you see as the best way forward right now for these guys that aren't ready to be in the first team mix, but they're too good for, say, under-19 level and they need, a, they need to be
2: playing somewhere? every form of competition of a you know, real competition is good for, for talent. So, uh, and it's, it's something that uh, I said from the very first beginning, we have to find more platforms for, comp- for competition for, for our, uh, talents. So I think that, uh, that, U uh, 23 and this league will not start before 21, mm. uh, in, and it is not even decided by now, because I think, also here we have to see the situation with the pandemic and with all yeah. of that. So, but uh, to have a U23 would be very helpful. Uh, in the same time, to have more teams uh, uh, in in general in the academy, because uh, um, nothing is that that important than to get stressed every week as a player to play a real competition and to get to get. To get used to to problems, to to difficult situations or to easy situations in the game. So um, this is the most important thing. And with the setup until today, uh, we have not enough uh, competition game time for for our young players. And something we were focused on from the very first moment. But it's ex- exactly one of these points where where we are now also having problems to get everything solved because of the pandemic. Because as you can imagine with all the discussions about phase one and two, uh, we, we, our Academy is playing in a, an, cross border competition on the MLS level. How should that work with yeah. 15 and 16, 17 year old guys? So, so it's, it's for, for the next months, hopefully only for the next months, it's a, it's a phase where we have to be very creative and to adapt and, and to, To accept that nothing is ideal, and as I said also before, we want to build for 21 to have the best setup for them. That's great. Thank you so much for
1: your time today, Axel. Really appreciate it. I know you've been chatting a lot this morning, so safe travels out east, and yeah, we'll talk soon. I'm sure.
2: Thank you very much, Michael. Thanks so much.
1: Axel Schuster there, thanks as always to Axel for giving up the time on Friday to sit down and chat with us. A few interesting things to unpack just from, from the general chat that we had and I mean it's going to be disappointing I think for some fans listening to this that there might not be an immediate replacement for Wong coming in. I think it's sensible because I would rather wait for the right person. To come in and not just have that stop gap and that's something we're going to speak to Mark DeSantis about in the next part. Now all that said, this is a, another important time for the Whitecaps to show that they have changed as an organisation, to show that they are prepared to compete with those about them in Major League Soccer and the reason I'm saying that is because as always, the Alfonso Davies money gets thrown in their faces about why haven't you spent it? Because people are just looking at them not really bringing in any big name signings apart from spending six million on Lucas Cavallini. As we've covered before, that money has gone on other aspects of the club and on some of the lower value talent on the roster as well. But with Fonsi doing so well, it's obviously going to be triggering, if it hasn't already, the extra money coming in for Bayern Munich, which could be at about another $9 million. Add into that money from this Inbom Wong transfer. And you're hoping that the Whitecaps are going to be in a position to then spend that money on bringing in new talent. What would look terrible for the Whitecaps right now is if the Whitecaps are just being seen to try and turn a profit and replace N-Bomb with somebody of lesser value with the hope of maybe developing him and selling him on. What the Whitecaps need at this moment in time is a proven midfielder, a number 10 or a, a midfielder that can be very creative, somebody that has done it, an older player, not necessarily one that's past his prime, one that's still got a few years left in him. One that is playing for his club and isn't a bench player. I'd like somebody from within MLS, but we'll cover that after we speak to MDS. The worst thing that they can do right now is to sign a guy that is, say, valued at less than in-bomb Wong, pocket in some of the profit that they've made instead of investing that money into the team. And I know it can get invested into the club in other ways, and we are in unique times where businesses left, right and centre in all kind of walks of life are are losing a lot of money. We've seen clubs in North America paying off staff because they can't afford to to, kind of function the way that they have been in in these current times. But from an on-pitch perspective, it's clear what the Whitecaps need. It's clear where the Whitecaps' weaknesses lie. It's the link-up play between the defence and the attack, the lack of creativity, the lack of somebody that can take this game by the scruff of the neck. Every club wants a player like that. Other clubs seem to manage to find them, But apart from, say, Pedro Morales in year one, maybe a little bit a year two, the Whitecaps have just struggled to deliver that player season upon season. And if we ever want to get out of the kind of just struggling to make the playoffs or not making the playoffs role that we're currently sitting in in the Western Conference. We need a difference maker. And to get that, you have to be prepared to spend money for it. But as we wrapped up talking about there, the the big impact of the COVID and the pandemic and everything just now is what it's going to be having on our younger guys. Because the 19s aren't going to be able to do their cross-border travel for taking part in the MLS-USSDA replacement. The MLS under-23 league that had been kind of murmured, that looks out the window until at least next year. So you've got this group of young talent that's just not getting these competitive games just now. We could have maybe made some loans to the CPL teams, but that ship has now sailed because the CPL tournament is well underway and there can't be any more additions now. So it's a quandary that is going to continue into next year and it's... I mean, even if we had still got WFC2, they wouldn't be able to play these cross-border games anyway. So while the virus is still hanging around, while there's border restrictions, it's going to make things very, very difficult for any Canadian team and any Canadian player really to try and get back to some kind of normal. And that, I feel, also includes internationally as well. So i have had the thoughts of Axel Schuster there. In the next part, we're going to sit down for a chat with Mark DeSantis. It's my first time to sit down with him since coming back from Orlando. So we're going to unpack that, look ahead to the upcoming Phase 1 games, chat in Bomb Wong's departure and a lot more. So stay tuned for that and we'll be back right after this.
4: Hi, I'm DeSaint Ricketts and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer
1: Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the first of tonight's three of a kind. That was my all-time favourite band, the Buzzcocks, with a song from their second studio album, 1978's Love Bites, and that was 16 Again. And for any new listeners, or just those of you that need a reminder... At the starts of parts three, four and five at the moment, we're kicking off each part with a song that is connected in some way. Yes, they're three of a kind. Your job over the next couple of parts is to work out what that connection is. And if you've managed to work it out by the second song that kicks off part four, see if you can get a little insight into my brain and work out what song we're going to kick off part five with. So let's get back to the Whitecaps chat now. Over the first two parts, we heard from Whitecaps CEO and Sporting Director Axel Schuster about the Phase 1 return to play, the transfer of Inbom Wong and a few other things as well. And on Sunday, I got the chance to sit down for a one-on-one with head coach Mark DeSantos. My first chance to sit down with Mark since the, the team got back from Orlando so just wanted to unpack a few things from that tournament with him. Look ahead to the matches coming up against Canadian opposition in phase 1. Touch a little bit on phase 2 in Bom Wong's transfer and a few other things as well. So we're going to bring you that into view in full in this part. So make yourself your favourite hot beverage or maybe iced beverage I guess since it's pretty warm weather out there right now. Still grab a chocolate digestive though. Sit back, put your feet up, and listen to my chat with Whitecaps head coach Mark Desantos. So, Mark, thanks for for joining us. First chat we've we've had since you you got back from Orlando. Just to have a couple of minutes at, at the start, just to unpack Orlando a little bit. Can you take much from it, or it's was was it such a unique environment, and you were down so many players that there wasn't really? too much that you can take from it moving forward?
3: No, I think you could take a lot from it. Uh, First, you take three points for the standings. And that's one of the important things that to get out of there with points uh, inside all the circumstances and how the team was, it was important. Uh, The other thing is we... We're giving time to young players and we're giving minutes to young players. That is an ability. We're putting them, them in positions to, to gain a little, a little bit more experience, like uh, Ryan Raposo at minutes, uh, Theo Bear at minutes, uh, Pat, very little, but Pat Metcalf had some minutes. Uh, all this, uh, many of the center backs, uh, not all because Eric Godoy and Andy Rose weren't there, but participated in the games. Guti. Thomas Asal, I, I take it more for that. That's the positive things that happen in uh, in Orlando. The other thing that we take from our trip to Orlando was the mindset of everyone. Um, you know, they always kept, everybody that was there always kept a good mindset, um, regardless of all the circumstances. And we left Orlando still in a playoff position, and that's something important when you look at points.
1: Yeah, I know that was one of the things that, that you targeted when we chatted before you went. So, I mean, that's definitely a positive. How how has the last two and a bit weeks been for you? Because it's obviously going to be weird finally getting back on the pitch, but then going back in into two weeks quarantine. It's hard,
3: uh, Michael. To be honest, it's as a club, we are looking at this season as a season of Of continue our building because it's very awkward, type of season. You know, we had, and when it comes to the physical load and our preparation with our performance team, we had three preseason type of different type of loading because you go for a stretch, you stop. Then you go again for a stretch, you stop. And when you do 14 days of quarantine and you're a professional football, soccer player, well, what happens is. That do they stay fit yes are they responsible the 14 day zone yes but there's no soccer activity involved it's mm-hmm. all individual type of fitness that is very different so it's a very weird season and it's a season where we do our best as a staff and players to keep everything together, everything in perspective. And now we're focusing first in these three games in eight days that we're going to have in the East Coast. But because we have a young group, uh, the levels of motivation is always high. Um, What we like about this group, there's no – there's no moaning and bitching. It's it's a group that is ready to face the next three games and they're excited about it.
1: Yeah, I I mean, there's still potentially three phases left off the season if we're breaking it down and including the playoffs. But just to to focus on phase one because it's coming up really quick. First games on Tuesday. I know you're flying out on Monday. I was on the conference call with Don Garber when he announced that everything was coming back. And at that point, the Canadian part wasn't totally finalised, but we'd all heard the rumours of what it was going to be. So I'd asked him, it puts Vancouver at a competitive disadvantage because you're playing two Eastern teams. You don't have the opportunity to take points off Western rivals in the standings. Is it a bad competitive disadvantage in that regard?
3: it could be looked at both ways. Okay. We cannot take points away, uh, but they cannot take, they cannot build an advantage, Mm -hmm. a gap between us. Uh, Like Mm -hmm. if we would play Dallas twice and San Jose once, well, they could, if they would win those games, they would build uh, a a cumulative of points uh, from us. Uh, Toronto and Montreal cannot do that. So, In one way, it's an advantage, and in another way, it's a disadvantage. Uh, But if we take care the best we can of getting points from these games, well, it's points that we get in the Western uh, uh, standings. The other way we look at this is the focus of having the possibility to arrive at a Canadian Championship final. Yeah, Um, And that's also how we look at it, you know. We have our, our number of points that would be good in our head before coming home and playing three games home. I don't want to share that number, uh, but uh, we have a number that we say if we come back with these amount of points, it's very positive to then face the, the next three games home. Um, and, and again, Michael, even if we say that everything that, that this year has given us is really tough to build the team, uh, because it's stop, go, stop. There was a, a separation in our locker room. Uh, not not in a in a in a team environment or team spirit. We have a good team spirit and good guys. But you know, there's a big group that went to Orlando, a big group that stayed home. Now we're reconnecting the two groups again. Uh, we 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 were in quarantine where the groups when we came back had to train for a couple of days separately so it's all this this building that is very very awkward but when we look at the games itself it's exciting because there's points involved there's the possibility of getting to a Canadian championship but I think it's hard for everybody you look at what's going on with Champions League and the surprises and you feel that The teams are not ready. With all due respect that I thought Bayern Munich, I'm just giving you an example, were phenomenal against Barcelona. I don't think that type of game happens in normal circumstances. I just think we're living in very kind of unnormal environments that make it very hard for everyone. It's just the reality of, of how things go. So everyone has a chance here.
1: The Canadian Championship aspect of it, obviously it's strange because normally in a normal tournament you'd maybe go, be happy with an away goal, that doesn't come into it anymore, but then you've also not got the fans, the intimidating atmosphere, but you do have the travel. Is it still going to be tough going into to those two stadiums or is it just going to be like Orlando and it's kind of a level playing field for all the teams now?
3: Yeah, no, I don't think it's going to be a leveled field. The same way as when we're going to play home at BC Place without fans, it's going to be an advantage for us. You, you can hide for, from that, you know, because the, the travel is long. Uh, it's a big travel, and you can't really travel there four or five days before because of the, the circumstances where we live right now. We're only going there one day before, so, so it's hard. it's hard and you have to even though if there's no fans there's still an advantage for who plays in their stadium their field and recognizing the the corners of the house now uh for sure you tell me do i prefer to to play toronto fc in an empty stadium or in a packed stadium full of red jerseys no i prefer to play in an empty stadium uh but to say that uh it's level ground. No, the same way when we're going to play at BC Place, it has to be an advantage for the Whitecaps and not, not, not a level ground.
1: The tournament, the games are coming thick and fast and obviously the players are expected to kind of look after themselves. You can't, you can't police them the whole time to behave, but then you look at some stuff, I don't know if you've seen what happened in Scotland with Aberdeen and Celtic players. It, it's difficult. But I guess you just have to trust the players that they're putting themselves in the right situations, that they're not going out and doing anything stupid at this time.
3: Look, uh, what we do, our our full building of the team and preparing the team also has a lot of educational aspect. I think as a coach with your performance team, you have to educate the players all the time. But, But not only with COVID, you have to educate with alcohol you have to educate when you're at a bar and you're next to a girl and then you act stupid what could happen from that uh with drugs we educate in all of that including covid including being careful but then you can like you say you can you're not there all the time i if a player is home and having a bottle of vodka i might know the next day because i see how he behaves in training but the, the reality is that you're not there every day to see how we how we behaves with everything. I, I think our guys are quite smart. Though we don't have stories of many stories of guy getting out too much. They've, yeah. they've been careful and respectful. But now, like you said, there's a life out there. There's the weather's nice. There's it's hard to be home and staying home. But they, I think most of the time, overall, we're all doing a very good job. Now, I don't want to say anything that then it's going to be a surprise. I We educate the players every day and we put them in alert every day.
1: Now, you've lost one of the players and Wong has headed off to Russia, which obviously leaves a big gap in the midfield. I mean, for me, I don't feel that he ever really lived up to what we were hoping maybe for from him. I know you might not I agree with that, but do you do you think, like, the challenges of MLS, it was really tough for him to get used to the league with the travel, going back to Korea to play internationally, stuff like that?
3: Look, I really believe in his qualities and the, the, the reality is that he was sold to Ruben Kazan and there was other teams interested. It wasn't interest of, ah, yeah, we're gonna look at him. No, no, it was big interest. Teams that wanted him more than Ruben Kazan and and the reality is that I think he came to Vancouver in a rebuilding year, in a very tough year with, uh, it was tough for the team. And I thought, he, I think he would have been good in uh in, in his second year, if the season was normal, you know, mm-hmm. playing every Saturday um, in the tournament, if in Portland, he, he was very good for us. Then his game against the galaxy was very solid in LA. And, it was just stop-go. It was hard for him from for him here. Um, what I think it was a big jump in his career, though, was he came from the second division of South Korea. He arrived in a, a, a total new environment where you have and in South Korea the maybe I think ninety percent of your roster, if it's not for a Chinese and Brazilian player, ninety percent of your roster is South Korean you're home, you you feel home and everything. And then you come here, you learn English, you deal in a locker room with people play, speaking Spanish, Arab, French, English. Um, and he's grown a lot. I'm happy in how the Whitecaps provided him with uh, and equipped him. He, the play Ruben Kazan is getting is not the same player that we got. So he's, he's much more ready for a new environment and a new place. So we're happy that we, we helped him uh, in that part of his career. Now, because he came and he was with the national team of South Korea, and then we brought him here as a DP, a young DP, expectations are always going to come. People are going to want him to be the difference maker in the last pass. And and that didn't happen, unfortunately, but it doesn't take away the, the player he is and, and hopefully, and I believe in the next World Cup, we're going to see him with South Korea.
1: got three last things to ask you. One of them, like replacing him in the midfield. I spoke to Axel on Friday. He explained the difficulties with quarantine. It could take eight to 10 weeks to, to get certain players in because of things that they'd have to do. It obviously leaves a big hole for you, especially in this phase one of the tournament. Do you feel you've got the quality in that midfield and the difference makers that the team needs going forward?
3: No, not right now. We feel that we have solutions, especially when Bickell's going to come back from injury. We're going to have solutions. Uh, we need some guys that play kind in between lines uh, to step up and to become more consistent. Uh, an example, and it's not a secret that we're, we're shaped more in a 4-4-2 where one of our forwards is uh, the player that plays more between lines. An example of Jordi Reyn or even Ryan Raposo that could play that role. Or if we play more of a counter-attacking game, then you have guys like um, Toss or even Theo that could play with Kava, for example. But in the midfield right now, the, 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 the biggest options are Janio um, Bikel, Russell Tybert, and Leo Uso. Do we need then you have young the young player behind like Pat mitcalf uh, michael baldissimo uh, you you need to become more creative there yes, absolutely is it clear what we want yes, absolutely it is the 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 profile we want plays for Manchester United, and his name starts with a b and if you look at him, it's exactly this type of 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 player that we would like to have in, in our roster. Um, that's with that type of profile that we, if, if I give you a name of a profile at the highest level possible, well, I give you one. You have an idea of, yeah. of what type of player or position we would look at. Uh, we're looking for it. We're working hard on it. But we don't feel in a year like this one that we're just going to sign any guy and and maybe maybe being the wrong guy we want to make sure it's the right guy and uh, we're working so it's a player like you said that really makes a difference in our team and makes the people around uh around them better also so it's very clear what we want Michael and uh, we have to be a little bit patient uh, like Axel said there are countries that it's now i'm talking to you we're uh, august 16 let's say by the time we would finalize the right player and and the right deal you're bringing it to the end of august then visa and paperwork you're bringing it to the end of september maybe depending on the country then quarantine You're talking about a guy, what, that would arrive here, be ready to play. And after coming out of quarantine, he still needs a good 10 days to get ready. We're talking about a guy that's ready to play mid-October, end of uh, October. Yeah. You know, we're going to be careful. Uh, Look, with Timbom, it opened uh, that hole there. But it also allowed us to, when we were evaluating our players, it's also an opportunity now for us to bring the right exact type of profile to the team.
1: So I was going to ask whether you felt there was a rush, because like here in Vancouver, long before you've come, we've, we've never had... Pedro Morales year one is probably the only time we've had a real difference maker in the midfield, and I, I think the majority of supporters would be prepared to wait for the right guy than then do a stopgap, but is interleague transfer is a, a possibility or it, does that not interest you for short term?
3: No, it does. It does. But but who? Let's go. Yes. You work with me. You're with me. You work with me. I know. I, I was thinking so about is, this. And I, I'm not saying, Michael, I'm not saying this disrespectfully. Oh, no. I'm just saying, like you said, we can't, I think we're in the right track on our building and being careful with our decisions. We have young players that I believe in two, in one, two, three years. I don't want to say names because I hate putting some of our guys yeah. up. But there's guys we have that in one, two, three years, they're going to be very special and exciting in this league. And then you want to make sure that the guy we bring, it's like you said, we want to bring a guy that could make a difference, the guy that is our or a guy that gives us rhythm between the midfield and the attack. The guy that has the ability to play that last pass, that that is that threat with his last ball. We're looking for that. And we want to find the right player. So we don't want to just because in bomb left, yeah, let's let's get a player right now and then it's not the right one. Yeah, he's just okay. No. Right now, what we're we gonna do is some of the guys that are in the ros- in the roster are going to have the opportunity to show how much of that player they can be. And at the same time, remember, we opened the DP spot. We have a DP spot there. We could choose right. We could bring the right one and, and that could change a good part of our team. I,
1: I was racking my brains for midfielders within the league and the only ones I came up with are the guys that teams aren't going to give up or they would only give it up for an obscene amount of money. So I know how difficult and I know
3: that the guys you're talking or thinking of, and it's probably the same guys I'm thinking of. Yeah. But like you said, it, it, it's not like that. It, it's, yeah. The teams don't give them up. It's hard. It's not easy. And then, you know, I don't want a guy that plays little minutes. I don't want to do a trade here of a young player that we have that plays little minutes for the guy that New York has that plays little minutes. I'm giving you an example. Yeah. Let me invest in the guy that are we already have here, knows the culture, knows what we want to be about. And I work with him. Trade this uh, for a dollar, a bill, a dollar for four pennies, you know, no, yeah. no.
1: I, I know you don't want to talk about phase two. I, I read your interview with, with JJ during the week. So I won't go into that just now because obviously it's all up in the air. Depends what happens on the border, et cetera, et cetera but how much is that playing on your mind? Just
3: what is next? A lot, it's so easy for me to answer you, a lot. A lot because I think about all the scenarios I say, I think about players, families, uh, mentality, uh, so many things because what you don't know is the amount of information we're getting of maybe we'll do this maybe we'll do that maybe so we're getting a lot of options a lot of things throwing at us and that's when i spoke with jj that's the reason why i wanted to stay in phase one and let me focus on canada and let me focus on trying to get the most points possible finishing first to go to the canadian championship final because right now we're talking about playing phase two in a country that me me and this is very personal uh, very personal that me i don't trust right yeah. now you know it's the same. I, I love i love i have many Amer. that's nothing to do with the u.s or america nothing yeah. to i have many Amer- friends all over the world but i don't trust what's going down there now and i have kids i have wife i don't want to put nobody in trouble and i I think that what and i said it after the the mls is back tournament i'm shocked how some people don't take this seriously because this this story of it only kills old people and that it's not true yeah it's not true it depends on your your body and how you are medically it depends on many factors I want to be with my kids still, you know, I and there's places in the US that I don't trust mm-hmm. and I. it's the truth. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I, I can't disagree with you. Thank you as always for your time. Safe travels. I'm sure we'll catch up when, when you get back. Good, good luck with everything. I hope everything sorts out and that something works out that's that's pleasing for phase two at least.
3: Thank you very much. That's great. Thanks, Thanks Mark. Talk Take soon, care. man.
1: Appreciate Take it. Take care. The gaffer MDS there talking all things Whitecaps as the team gets ready to return to action on Tuesday against Toronto FC at BMO Field. 5pm kickoff in that one. The game, as all the games between the three Canadian teams, will be shown on TSN. And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing just what the Whitecaps look like with all their players back, or at least all their players that are fit. Johnny Bacchel seems the player that is going to miss out in these early matches. Mark mentioned in the media conference call on Friday that he doesn't expect him back till maybe September. The hope is that we're going to see Eric Godoy, though, back on the pitch. And any of the other little niggles and knocks that were hanging around the team will be all fixed. Obviously, apart from Max Crippol, who is going to be out for, you probably have to think, the rest of the season, but you never know. Certainly will be interesting to see if Thomas Asal gets the nod in neck or if they go with a more experienced Brian Meredith, maybe mix things up a little bit. I know everyone's probably going to want to see the continued development of Thomas Asal, I guess it's really just going to be down to which one performs best at training and I've got full faith in the Cats management team to make the right decision in this one. Certainly going to be good though to get the likes of to St. Ricketts and Lucas Cavallini and Andy Rose though back in the lineup. They were certainly missed down in Orlando, especially the missing pieces from the attack. If the Whitecaps do end up relocating to the US for Phase 2, it's hard to think that Cavallini is going to choose to travel down there. So these might be the only games that we really get to see the Whitecaps designated player in action in. So hopefully he can make an impact and get his first goal for the Whitecaps. It was interesting hearing Axel chat about Toss there a a little bit earlier in the show and mention that his medical issue had meant he was able to join the team in Orlando but they decided against that. So hopefully Toss will be able to be involved in phase two, whatever that does look like for the club. The last thing I just kind of want to talk about from my chat with Mark there is At the end when we're talking about replacing Inbom Wong. Touched a little bit about it in part 2 after Axel's comments. I would like to see a player brought in from MLS. And I was, as I mentioned to Mark there, racking my brains as to who that player could be. Unfortunately, all the players that you would want to bring in, that would be effective attacking midfielders, ideal in the number 10 role for what MDS is wanting to do, are all players that are still really wanted by their their current clubs. And you don't want to just bring in a player that's out of favour or a player that isn't getting regular minutes just to fill that void if he's not going to be the right guy. So it is a tricky one. If the Whitecaps want to get an MLS difference maker that's currently in the league, they are going to have to pay through the nose for it. I don't see anything wrong in doing that, to be honest. They've got the gam. They traded away their number one spot in the allocation order To LAFC during the week that was something that was perhaps missed by a number of people but just with the way that the team is just now and hearing from Axel and Mark there there's definitely a void there's definitely a hole you're not wanting to say that the Whitecaps are basically writing off this season because they're not they're certainly going to go for it and go for points and if you get to the playoffs then it's a whole different ball game but If you don't add and you don't get that creative midfielder or you don't get some kind of creativity or spark in the midfield, it's going to be really tough for them down the stretch here. Phase 1, Phase 2, it's tough to see them competing with some of the top teams out there. You look at Toronto and Montreal and they're they're difficult opposition in these opening stages. Moving then into Phase 2 where you're playing the Western teams, There's a lot of talent in the West. So it's going to be tough for the Whitecaps if they don't replace Wong. And if you're looking at eight to ten weeks, it's getting tricky to do that. But we'll we'll see how it all plays out. We'll be chatting about the first two games against TFC in next weekend's show. We might do some special post-game stuff. haven't sorted that out yet. But keep an eye on our socials in case we do decide to do something on YouTube. But that is it for all the Whitecaps chat for this show. We're going to be turning our attention in the final two parts to the Canadian Premier League. The Island Games that got underway on Thursday and we're going to be back chatting about that after this.
5: Hey, I'm Brett Levi's and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
6: It's come to come from Planets
3: And
1: Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show On CITR Radio 101.9 FM And kicking off this part It's the second of tonight's Three of a Kind songs From former artists of the month The Sultans of Ping From their second studio album Teenage Drug That was a song Called Teenage Punks. Released in September 1993 and it reached number 49 in the UK singles charts. Have you worked out what our link is yet? We started off part 3 with the Buzzcocks and 16 again. Teenage Punks from the Sultans of Ping there. What could the third song be? What is the connection? Find out in part 5. But enough of the music, let's get back to the football chat. And after focusing on the Whitecaps and MLS in the first three parts, we're going to turn our attentions now to the Canadian Premier League and the Island Games that got underway on Thursday out in Charlottetown, PEI. Now in last week's show, which was a bit of a CPL special, we had a big focus on two of the teams, Pacific FC and FC Edmonton. I said I was wanting to kind of focus on all eight of the clubs over the course of the tournament and bring you some interviews with coaches and players from those teams. So we're going to focus on two more of the sides in this part of the the show. Starting off with a team that got underway on Saturday afternoon out on the East Coast, pretty close to home for PEI, HFX Halifax Wanderers, I think a club that many of us that have taken an interest in the CPL have at least adopted as our second favourite club. It's a fantastic stadium they have out there, Wanderers Grounds. It's a stadium that I really want to visit at some point. I was meant to head out in September and take in a game, maybe two games out there. Unfortunately, my wife was sick and we weren't able to, to go. So one day I will certainly get there. Really can't wait, it looks a fantastic setting with a fantastic atmosphere from all the fans. What wasn't particularly fantastic though was their first season in the CPL in 2019. They had a mixed time of it. The spring season was the best of the two, they finished 4th overall, 11 points from their 10 matches, 3 wins, 2 draws, 5 defeats. That was 13 points though behind winners Cavalry. The fall season though, things got away from them a little bit. They finished bottom of the fall season standings on 17 points from their 18 games. Just 3 wins, 8 draws and 7 defeats in there. It was the draws that really killed them if they had, could turn a few of those into wins they'd have been much, much further up the table. That led to a bit of a, a rebuild of the squad by head coach Stephen Hart. And although he was born in Trinidad and Tobago, he's got such a rich history in the Canadian game, coaching Canada at youth level all the way up to under 23. He was an assistant coach with the national team, then an interim coach and an assistant again and then back to being an interim coach before finally getting the gig full time between 2009 and 2012. He then headed back home to Trinidad and Tobago where he was the, the head coach there for four years. Came back to Canada to take over the the reins of Halifax Wanderers. Going back to his roots because he did play his football out in Halifax way, way back in the day in the 1980s. But is that a tough ask for Stephen Hart to turn Halifax around this year. 17 players from that inaugural roster moved on, moved out of Halifax. And he's brought 16 players in to replace them. A couple of exciting ones in there including two of the the U Sports draft picks, Corey Bent, who I've seen play at Cape Breton Capers and also in the PDL with Victoria Highlanders. And a player that came through the Whitecaps system, and I had high hopes that he would sign for the Whitecaps at at some point in, in an MLS deal, and that's defender Jake Ruby. Jake took a little bit of time out of the game and then decided to go to Trinity Western Spartans and has now joined Halifax made his debut for Halifax in Saturday's game, the coast-to-coast derby against Pacific FC. And Halifax got off to a pretty good start in that one, drawing 2 all. They took the lead, were pegged back in the second half by Pacific FC, and they could easily have let their heads go down, but nope, they kept going, got a draw, and could even have pinched it at the death. Could they be one of the dark horses for the CPL, make it into the final four and into phase two? Well, I mean, it's all up for grabs right now. So, I got a chance to chat with head coach Stephen Hart on Friday. And what I'm going to do as well is I spoke to him a little bit after that Pacific game. So, the first six questions are from a chat with him on Friday, and then I've tagged two more on at the end from Saturday. So, let's hear what he has to say. Halifax Wanderers head coach Stephen Hart. Uh, hi Stephen, the the tournament that's coming up. Just maybe talk a little bit about just how excited you are to to get back on the pitch and what the biggest challenges have been to get the team ready in such a short period of time.
7: Um, hi Michael. Um, yeah, I, I, I think uh, we are we are all you know happy uh, and excited. Um, energized to be able to play. Uh, We never thought we'd be playing again in 2020. Um, That being said, uh, all the the challenges were mainly from a a training aspect. Um, You had players literally doing very little um, and and then you brought them into a a training environment that was largely individual. Uh, And we, we really couldn't do anything collectively until about, well, about seven, eight days um, before we came, we came to the tournament. Um, so that, that was the biggest challenge. One, to sort of motivate them. Um, they were training, 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 uh, not knowing if the tournament was on. Um, all credit to them. Uh, they handled it quite well. And uh, and then of course you know uh, us trying to get some sort of working relationships in how we how we play without being allowed to play against any opposition.
1: you've had a lot of changes to the roster for this season. What kind of team can we expect from Halifax this season?
7: Well, um, I mean we've discussed the changes in the roster and and why and um, just uh, I. I don't know to an- answer your question honestly. What to expect without seeing them in a, in a sort of competitive environment or exhibition games or whatever. Um, but I can tell you from training, um, the, the the team looks more capable uh, in terms of depth in in doing uh, different uh, different things and giving the team a different look. Um, the in, in terms of our ball speed and and how we've been playing, it it has looked you know it has looked far faster, far more cohesive, um, and and then of course when when the ball gets into those dangerous areas, we 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 seem to have a bit more variety.
1: The games are coming thick and fast, obviously in this tournament. How important is squad rotation going to be for you in these early games, knowing that? As long as you finish in the top four, you're going to advance.
7: Yeah, I think squad rotation is going to be important for everybody. Um, the you, we saw it last night; quite a few players cramping up, um, uh, some potential even injuries, and we've seen it in every league that, that sort of started up prematurely. Um, so you know, it's we, we're going to have to be, you know. Uh, Uh, have a good understanding that that squad rotation would be necessary and everybody is going to have to be ready to to step in at at, uh, any given moment.
1: And there's a little bit of added spice to the tournament now, knowing that whoever wins it is going to play off in the Canadian Championship final. Obviously a long, long way to go until that stage, but what would it mean to a club like Halifax to have that opportunity?
7: Oh wow, everything. (laughs) I mean... Really and truly, that, that announcement took everybody everybody by surprise. Um, we would love to be that team for two reasons. One, it would have meant we won the tournament and, and two, to have that sort of opportunity against an MLS team. Um, it, it would be great.
1: I've just got two more quick ones to, to ask. First of all, about the the mental side of things in this tournament. I know from speaking to the guys that were down at the MLS tournament, that was one of the hardest things for them, being in the bubble, having so much free time on their hands. What has the team got planned to kind of keep the guys alert mentally?
7: Yeah, the the, the whole mental situation uh, coming out of the first the, the quarantine situations that everybody was in. Um, the players that were coming in having to quarantine and then being in in this bubble, um, we have our activity rooms, our little bit of activities. Um, it, we're not we're not allowed to leave the hotel, um, but we try to get out every single day um, in our in our uh, designated spaces. Try to have a little bit of uh, fresh air and 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 some small games where they it be, you know, uh, ring toss or, or whatever. Um, and then we have our, our recreation um, sort of room, which is our, our meeting room, our dining room, our physiotherapy room. Um, and it, it's turned out to be the, 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 the gathering room of, of all the players. So we, we try to keep them as occupied as possible, but also, we also recognize that they need their own space. Um, I think that's very, very important. So we're very laxed in in what what you know how the players move about and what they can they can do in the, the hotel. We leave it up to them to find their own way.
1: And I just wanted to ask uh, about one of your players, Jake Ruby. He's a guy I know well from out here in Vancouver. Watched him come through the Whitecaps residency program, and then there was always high hopes that he was going to. To sign in MLS, but I know he wanted to take a little bit of time to to decide what he wanted with his career. What was it about him that made you want to take him in the draft? And what have you seen from him in training that you feel is going to be a good fit for your squad?
7: Um, I had heard I had heard some good things about him. Um, you know, watched watched some some games that he played in. Um, he's you know his his all his coaches talked about you know his tremendous attitude. Uh, his his mental side um, seems to be seems to be strong, and and let's face it, you can, you can have a lot of ability in this game, but if you if you don't have a certain makeup mentally, um, it's going to be very difficult for you. Um, from from what I've seen, when I, when a young man was given the opportunity to go home during the quarantine period, did not know if there was going to be a league, but was willing to stay and do everything possible to be part of the Wanderers. I had to ask myself, you know, is this the the kind of player that I I would like the Wanderers to have? And the answer was yes. And then in training, he has accepted every challenge. Um, I couldn't ask more of him. And hopefully it's just about him playing now and, and, you know, making himself uh, seen, known and making my selection difficult.
1: What's your, your general thoughts coming out of that one? A lot of teams going down late after having the lead for so long, their heads would maybe have gone down, but does this say a lot about the fighting spirit of this group of players that you've put together?
7: Yeah, and I said that to them. Um, they showed good character. Um, we really, the only bad spell we had was about, I think, 10 minutes uh, where they got the goals you know um, but other than that the game was, was fairly balanced I thought I'd have to see it again because I might be biased but uh, you know yeah uh, the way they, the way they clawed back every single substitute that came on uh, had an impact. Restrepo was excellent Sano and Akim they were they were tireless in in, in uh, running in the channels and allowing us to play forward quicker. Um, So, yeah, um, uh, and then Marshall came on, used his trickery and uh, he's still getting accustomed to to field turf, you know, which he doesn't play on. But yeah, I agree with you. I I think uh, they showed good, good mental spirit.
1: We talked yesterday about how open this tournament feels. Can you believe that the first three games have been two all draws? And how good is that for for yourselves? Because it kind of keeps everyone at a level pegging.
7: Yeah, I mean, uh, we would have loved to have gotten three points, um, but so would they. You know what I mean? And uh, we 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 ended up tying the game. Um, yeah, we got two two penalties, but you could only get penalties if you attack, you know. And um, we 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 certainly had we certainly had those those moments where that little final pass would get picked off or or uh, the ball was cleared off the line, the ball hit the post. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's the nature of the game, you know. And I'm happy uh, that at least we, we fought back and made it
1: 2-2. Thanks, Stephen. Good luck in the tournament. Thank
7: you. You're my wonder,
6: little wonder,
1: Halifax Wanderers head coach Stephen Hart there and it's certainly going to be a a tough task for Halifax to make it into the four that go through to the second phase but I wouldn't write them off. They played some really nice stuff against Pacific at times and they did show that fighting spirit as we, we talked about there. But they've got a tough task in particular in the next two games because their next one is on Wednesday where they take on Forge and then they follow that up next Sunday against Cavalry FC. Now, those are going to be their two toughest games, so if they can get anything from those, that's going to be fantastic. But then they've got games after that, four more games, that they're going to feel they've got a chance of taking something from. And then it just all comes down to the standings after that. But from Nova Scotia, we're going to head west now into Manitoba and focus our attentions on Valor FC. Now, at the end of last season, we brought you a a long chat we had with head coach Rob Gale. It was a tough first season for Gale and Valor in the CPL. They finished bottom of the spring season with 9 points from their 10 games. 3 wins, no draws, 7 defeats there. Better showing in the fall season. Finished 5th overall. 19 points from their 18 games, 5 wins, 4 draws and 9 defeats. They were crippled by injuries last season. It's like Pacific FC and Valor were the two teams that really had their depth tested. And in Valor's case, the depth just simply wasn't there and they just struggled by missing so many key pieces. So it's been a big rebuilding process, much like Halifax, for Valor this off-season. Rob Gale only brought back seven players from the team that finished the 2019 season. But he's made some good additions that should really strengthen this team. A couple of them very well known to Whitecaps fans, Former Whitecap, Brett Levi's, joined on a free transfer after the Whitecaps let him go at the end of last season. Then another former Whitecap, Fraser Ayrt, came back from Scotland where he had been playing with Cove Rangers. Gales also added three players on loan from MLS teams. Goalkeeper James Potemis from Montreal Impact, defender Julian Dunn from TFC and Dante Campbell from TFC two. And there's a few other interesting additions that he's made into all that as well. They didn't get their Island Games tournament underway until Sunday. But they had a very tough task, taking on Cavalry, going down to a 2-0 defeat. But they played really well in that one. Two goals and a four-minute spell really did them in. Marcus Haber getting his first goal for Cavalry FC. And then Sergio Camargo from this spot. But where they really struggled was was getting shots. They had four shots during the whole game, none of them on target. If they want to do anything this season, they're going to really have to improve their attacking game. But I got a chance to speak to Rob Gale on Saturday. So I'm going to bring you that now. And like with Stephen Hart before it, I spoke to him after his match on Sunday as well. So I'm going to tag on a couple of questions at the end that I asked him after that loss to Cavalry. So here's Rob Gale. We last spoke at the end of last season when you were out here at Pacific FC. So, I mean, since then, there's been so much change. You only brought seven players back. Can you talk a little bit about what this off season has been like for you, trying to put your squad together, especially with the pandemic being on?
8: Ah, uh, busy. I <laughs> mean, Pacific had a, how many did Pacific bring back, Michael?
1: Ah, oh, I'm not sure, but quite a lot. We're talking in the teens anyway, early teens, I think.
8: Yeah, well, maybe 10 or 11. Halifax, I think, brought back seven. So, yeah, it was busy, but it was needed and, and necessary. Um, we had a few pieces in line before the season ended. Like, and We knew Andrew Jean-Baptiste was coming. We knew Arnold Bukamuto were coming. So uh, we'd already discussed James Pantemis and getting him in. So the early part, uh, I think that was when some of that speculation Ed was talking about there was all kinds of stuff going on and, some high profile departures, we, we want to go back to home markets or, or go for more money elsewhere. But uh, for us, we were, we were pretty calm throughout. We knew where we needed to improve. Um, and I think you see in most of the squads for the first two years, some of the best sign were made late on in the windows. Um, and then it obviously got a bit funky with the uh, pandemic and, and, and the shutdowns. But even then we've done most of our business. And other than adding the two loan pieces, uh, as a necessity, late on for players that couldn't make it from overseas, uh, it, it wasn't it wasn't too bad at all, really. And uh, look, we've had a long <laughs> a long off season normally, but three hundred and four days since the last game is not like a, we've had to rush signings here.
1: Yeah, that's true. I, I know when we last spoke, and like I spoke to to Marco Bustos after the match in Pacific as well, and both of you kind of mentioned that there was a good core but the depth didn't seem to be there. Do you feel you've got a much stronger depth this year? Because I guess you're going to need it in a tournament like this when the games are coming thick and fast.
8: Yeah, definitely, definitely feel that. You know, sometimes, uh, and I think there was talent there last year, but we had a lot, a lot of injuries and big injuries and key injuries and Joseph and Michael Petrasso played barely half a season. Martin Aguinera got injured early. Jordan got suspended. You know, both goalies spent time out. Um, we couldn't keep a settled side. Uh, (laughs) You build a squad for open for your 28 to 35 game season and now we're faced with a a seven-game elimination, right? So it's strange, but we definitely feel there's a good, well-rounded depth to the squad, definitely more depth defensively, I think, and we felt that was important, looking at the makeup of the squad. And there were a couple of signings that we thought we had last year that didn't quite pan out, both at the start of the season and in July, which left us short on the back. So we made sure we'd done that that job early this year. The
1: tournament, because the top four go through, it gives you a little bit of of wiggle room to maybe not have to win every game and to to be fresher for the second phase. Is it about getting the points on the board early and trying to to rest it? Are you maybe going to pick and choose what games you feel you might be able to get the the points from?
8: Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Ideally, everybody wants to get it done early and then get rested and get healthy, right? There's no question about that. And then you get dealt a, a change in the schedule and um, you're facing the the best team from last year in your first game. So you can be as bold as you want. Uh, but uh, obviously, yeah, I think in this tournament and you've just seen that Atletico game, they're hanging on for dear life just because dodgy penalty, dodgy red card and you're up against it when they were in control, to be honest. so And then they're running out of legs, cramp and uh all sorts so i think ideally if you could draw it out perfectly you get those points on the board and, and and then get fresh but anyone who survives the tournament uh without many injuries it, it should do well
1: on the mental side of it i know from speaking to the guys that were down at the mls tournament the younger ones seem to struggle or the younger ones seem to deal better with being in the bubble because they're kind of used to their own company and finding things to do, but it's the family guys that really kind of struggled. And how do you keep them kind of mentally switched on and just not want to, to then go out and have all their adrenaline on the pitch, taking it out on on the pitch?
8: Yeah. You know, it's a balancing act with characters, right? we got Jose Galan, who's, uh, who's had a newborn and a, it, they've had some issues early on in, in in that and uh with their daughter and thankfully she's doing real well now um Daryl Ford, and a two year old his wife's going awful nuts at the time and I think they've already banked the time between October and March as daddy daycare because he has to make it up to his wife um I've got two daughters the other night one of them goes into hospital with breathing problems and It throws you off. I didn't get to sleep till four thirty in the morning till I know she's doing well. You know, these are all life challenges, and people forget that about professional athletes or sports. So, you know what? We try. We said it all the time last year. We tried to be a family, rally around each other. Uh, I'm feeling that again this year. There's a good family vibe to us, and and those kind of connections is you provide a family. That's why I do the silly games where I'm getting know like a newlyweds game or Pictionary or family feud and you just try and feel the downtime so that you don't miss it too much and i think obviously games are going to help once that comes thick and fast now that excitement and adrenaline goes and you just hope that everyone back home stays well and healthy and um as sound of mind as they can without uh their family around them there too
1: Obviously not the result you wanted from the first match back, but first game back in in 10 months. Just what positives are you taking out of this performance moving now into the rest of the tournament?
8: A couple. bravery from the boys. And when I want to say bravery, I talk about physical bravery there. I think we showed that we're different in both boxes um, than previously, and we're not going to be bullied or, or rolled over. Um, so I think that's a big positive. And then I'd say towards 40 minutes on, obviously the quick fire goal and the penalty decision sort of shook us. Uh, we got resolve and we got back to playing and starting to see the identity that we're trying to build as a, as a, a football team. So I think that was positive. Um, there were some great individual performances. I thought Julian Dunn was absolutely outstanding. I thought Raph uh came on uh, as we know he can, and impact a game. And we'd hope to stay tight and in the game longer to have that energy and athleticism coming in in the last half an hour. And unfortunately, when you go down two, then the opposition can sit behind the ball and they went to five at the back, as you saw, and then it becomes very difficult to, to break a team down when they're holding on to their lead. But that's something we can work on. And uh, like you say, no cramps, I think we're the first team that hasn't been dropping like flies, so that's a big positive. And I think, uh, you know, the the boys will will move on from this and have now gone into battle together against a very well-organised, difficult opposition so they can can regroup and, and build for the next game. We put that one to bed and we're on to Atletico immediately.
1: This was always going to be a a tough game anyway, playing one of the the top teams from last season. But looking at the way that this tournament started, you've got three draws kicking it off. It still leaves you very much with a, a good chance of progression.
8: Yeah, I mean, you know, we gotta we're gonna focus on us. Uh, like you say, it was a difficult. It was a late change in the schedule. We weren't sure we were going to play Cavalry first, and there's no harder game. There's no harder game in the in the CPL than Cavalry there. They do what they do very effectively and they, they find different ways to try and come at you uh, and you have to match that physical battle. I actually thought we started OK. They did The first shot on goal was the uh, the header, I believe. Um, and we lost it in the midfield, just got beat to it a little bit, but probably a little bit heavy legged in, in the midfield to not react. And then they got out on the wing and done at the back post. But uh, they're high press. We played out from it. We, we were fairly comfortable for those 20-25 minutes. But goals changed games and then they got their tail up and got the penalty quite quickly afterwards. But other than that, it was a game of very, very few chances created at either end.
1: Yeah, definitely. Good luck with everything, Rob.
8: Thanks, Michael. Great to speak to you, pal. You too.
1: Valor FC head coach Rob Gale there. And like I said, it's going to be a, a tough task for Valor to make it into the, the next part of the tournament, into the top four. But like all the teams, I mean, you can't write anyone off just now. With the tournament starting off with three draws, it kind of opens it up for everyone. Cavalry and Four do look like they're already pulling away from the pack a little bit. But they are also the only teams to have played two matches so far. So we'll see how all that plays out. And we'll have a little look at what has happened elsewhere in the tournament so far. And we'll be back with that after this.
4: How's it going, guys? I'm Ben Fisk. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
8: Welcome
1: back to the final part of tonight's AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's the final song of tonight's Three of a Kind. Three songs linked in some way that have kicked off parts 3, 4 and 5. We kicked off part 3 with the Buzzcocks and 16 again. We kicked off part 4 with the Sultans of Ping and teenage punks and kicking off part 5 yes, it could only be the wonderful Teenage Kicks by Irish band The Undertones a favourite of the late great DJ John Peel, a song that was released in September 1978 and despite its iconic status it only ever reached number 31 in the, the UK singles charts it was their debut single didn't feature on the band's debut album, it was a standalone EP, although once the album was re-released it did feature in that, and you can get it on a, a lot of the single collections that they have out, my favourite one being True Confessions, which is A and B sides from The Undertones, very much recommended, they're a great band, and there is a football connection, well there's actually a, f- a couple of football connections with The Undertones, but Teenage Kicks in particular is a song that is sung by the fans of Derry City. So that was the three songs. Did you work out what The Connection was? I think it was a fairly easy one. The Connection was Teenagers. If you got it, give yourself a pat on the back. If you didn't, try harder next week. So let's get back to talking Canadian Premier League and having a little look at the action that's taken place on the pitch so far at the Island Games. Five games are in the history books right now for the 2020 season. The first three matches in the tournament... Bizarrely kicking off as two all-draws. Each one of them having a lot of drama in their own right... And some controversy thrown in there as well. There's been penalties. There's been 16 goals over the five matches. We've had some teams that only played their first game today... Against teams that were playing their second game. There's, there's been a lot of talking points. And the action got underway... On Thursday evening, a rematch of last year's championship game between the the two class acts of the 2019 season, Let's, let's be honest. They were the two standout CPL teams, champions by way of the championship game, Forge FC, and the spring and fall champions in regular season play, Cavalry FC. Now these two teams had had some battles last season in the CPL Nine meetings between the two teams, none of them were decided by more than one goal. Forge got the better of those, winning five of those to Cavalry's three with one draw. The two big games for Forge, of course, being 1-0 wins in both legs of the championship game. And I think it's fair to say that these are two teams that I would say hate each other. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't use that word, but there's definitely... A simmering dislike, if you want to put it that way, between the two teams. And I don't know what it exactly is between the two sides, but whenever they meet, there's drama, a lot of late drama, and often a a lot of controversy. And this game was no different. The CPL fixture makers clearly knew what they were doing, putting this game up first. It did set a a great thing for the the rest of the tournament to follow from. Former Whitecaps 2 player Dominic Zator. Opened the scoring for Cavalry, getting the first goal of the Island Games, 11 minutes in. Anthony Novak tied things up for Forge against the run of play. Then Forge had the better of the second half, going ahead through Kyle Becker with 19 minutes remaining. Then three minutes into stoppage time, Dominic Samuel, a judge to have handled the ball in the box. Referee pointed to the spot, Up stepped Nathan Mavia, buried it, 94th minute penalty, 2-all, final score... What a way to kick off the tournament. If you listen to Forge FC head coach after the game, Bobby Smirniotis, he says 100 times out of 100, it was never a penalty. Tommy Bildon Jr., Cavalry head coach, said for him, from what he saw, definitely a penalty. The only debate is whether it did actually hit the guy's arm or not in the box. It's hard to see from some of the angles, but whatever. When these two teams meet, something happens. There's some talking point. And after the match, I got the chance to ask Smyrne Otis, and to the goal scorers, the Tor Novak, just what it is about these two teams that brings this out of them and just what it's like to, to play in these matches. Here's what they told me. Hi, Tommy. Yeah, I think it was probably a fair result at the end of it. The way that it ended, obviously, with the penalty, it does look a bit controversial. What did you make of it? And what is it about these two teams that these games just to seem to throw up situations like this?
4: Yeah, I don't know, but I think there's definitely something out there where we just seem to bring late drama, last minute. I mean, I mean look at the even the finals, right? They score at the end of the first half and score in the stoppage time when there could have been a penalty. It's just two competitive teams that are making things happen. Uh, so these type of things happen. Um, not one of us have really gone out ahead and, and battered the other one by a scoreline. They've always been about one goal in it. So. Um, you know, it, it is what it is. I think what it's important now is is it's the first game. We've worked out some creases. Um, we've got a point on the board. We've got goals in the bag, and we know we can get better. So I think that's a, a positive going into it.
1: And just a follow-up then, like mentally, what does this do to your squad for the rest of the tournament now?
4: Oh, massive, massive. In, in a tournament setting, to, to play as well as we did first half, and then be pegged back. I can find a way to get a result. That's a massive bit boost. Because even the lads come off afterward and said, you know what, we could have been a bit better second half or we could have done that. And they're very self-reflective. They're an honest group of lads that love to compete and love to play for points. So that gives them a great boost going into the next part.
1: Dom, I asked Tommy this. And just to get your thoughts on it, these two teams, whenever you meet, it throws up late drama. It throws up some controversy. What's it like playing in these games?
4: Oh, they're
5: unbelievable. I mean... These are the games you kind of want to play. They're the they're the big games. They're the rivalry games. The um, the two powerhouses uh, knocking heads. And this is this is what happens. It's scrappy. It's it's exciting. Everybody gets after each other. Um, there's goals, uh, block shots, and everything. Cards. It's I mean it's an exciting game, and it's it's very fun to be part of.
1: Bobby, just these two teams. Whenever you meet, there's late drama. There's some controversy. Is it just that you? You know each other so well now, and that you're just so passionate, and that you're both wanting to win, that brings this out of every single game you seem to play.
0: Yeah, I think it's important. Obviously, both teams, uh, both teams want to win, but there's uh, circumstances that have nothing to do with the team. Sometimes at the end of the game, that brings some of these results, um, whichever way uh, way you look at it. But the one thing's for sure: it's uh, we knew it was going to be a very good game. You know, we're two teams that want to win. We're two teams. Uh, that in the end uh, want to be champions. And I think, you know, we've got eight teams here in, in the same boat. But uh, we are obviously two teams that did it very well in 2019. And uh, like I said before, you know, kicking off uh, the season, kicking off what's 2020 here at the Island Games, I think it was always going to be a, a very good and uh, very well-contested match. Were you surprised
1: how physical it was in the early going?
0: Uh, not necessarily. You know, it's something that uh, we've become accustomed to in, in seeing in these games. Um, so I think, you know, there were... Uh, Quite physical in the in the first components of the game and they, they put a lot of energy into it uh, and I think uh, you know after that uh, first 20 minutes is something that we knew and we uh, were able to settle and tactically start moving the ball around and get through our processes and it's uh, something tactically we had prepared for from the beginning.
1: Last year you, you played some really tough games against Cavalry and every game seemed to have some drama, a lot of late drama, a lot of controversy in it what's it like as a player to, to play in these games and what is it about these two teams that brings this out of each other?
5: You know, I think, uh, I think these two teams last season, you know, set, set the standard for what it meant to, to compete in the CPL. Um, obviously both teams have a different brand of football, but both teams play their own way and, and they both play very well. But, um, it was just, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to call it a rivalry to be honest. Um, we take each game the, uh, as, they, as they arrive. So um, playing in those kinds of games, though, it's like, for me personally, it's it's always fun now. I, uh, I think I'm two for four against them or something like that. So, you know, if uh, I can keep that up, I, uh, I don't think I'd be too disappointed.
1: Some great stuff there from the guys at Forge and Cavalry. You can also check that out in an article that we had up on AFTN, just talking about the rivalry as well after the game. And in North American football, there's just so much focus on trying to create rivalries and a lot of it is trying to create rivalries that aren't really there to begin with and they just have to try and latch on to something. But the good thing about what's happened in the CPL is this rivalry, this simmering dislike or hatred, whatever you want to go with, between Forge and Cavalry, that has been organic. That has just built Because these two teams are driven, in particular, by two head coaches that just want to win. They want to win everything they take part in. If they were playing Conkers or Marbles in the park, they'd be wanting to win that as well. And I admire that. I mean, I'm I'm like that myself. My wife doesn't like playing games with me at home because I always want to win. I'm always very competitive. That's what breeds success. And that's why you've got two class acts like Cavalry and Forge in CPL. And it's going to be interesting as the years go by, more teams get added, just to see exactly what kind of rivalries do spring up. I know out here in BC we're really hoping that we can get a team in the lower mainland, whether it's Surrey, whether it's Langley, whether it's Burnaby, somewhere in Vancouver, just so we can get that BC rivalry going with Pacific. I just think that would be absolutely fantastic for the game and for the league here. Still also hoping that the Whitecaps can get Pacific in some kind of Canadian Championship matchup in the future. Probably not going to be this year. Although you never know. Maybe Pacific will go and win the whole thing. And then the Whitecaps will be the best from the MLS teams. And they will meet in the Canadian Championship final. How good would that be? But talking about Pacific. Let's get to them now. They kicked off their Island Games tournament on Saturday. In that match against Halifax. As we touched on in the last part. 2 all draw. Trailing one now at the half. Pacific came storming back in the second half. I mean it was a game that they they were pretty much in control of and had the better off for, for the whole match, really. Two guys we know so well here at AFTN did the business for them. Zach Verhoeven tied things up in the 68th minute after coming on as a sub. And then Marco Bustos put Pacific ahead with 15 minutes remaining. And you just saw what it meant to Busti, what it meant to Pa, all the Pacific players on the bench. I defy you to watch that celebration, to see the look in Pamadouka's face, just the sheer joy of it, the sheer excitement and passion. And if that doesn't put a smile on your face, then I don't know what will in football, because that was just a joy to behold. And when we sat down and chatted with him on last week's show. We talked about Marco Bustos going to Pacific from Valor, how Pa feels he can get the best out of him, unleash the Marco Bustos that we've all been wanting to see for the last couple of years. It's a small sample size so far. One game, one goal. He put in a leadership performance. He had a couple of different positions and, and roles on the pitch as well. It's going good for him so far. He needs to build on that and keep that consistency going, which has maybe been something that's that's kind of plagued him a little bit in his career so far. But it was just great to see them on the pitch. And I have to say as well, nine of Pacific's starting 11 came through the Whitecaps, either through the residency or WFC2. So, I mean, that chemistry and just everything about that is also fantastic. I'm going to bring you our final bit of audio from the show now. Just the questions that I asked Pamudoukart and Marco Bustos after the match in the post-game presser. Now, I've got to say, it's not great audio quality from the two of them. I don't know what was going on in PEI and the Pacific side for that it's definitely been the worst quality of all the, the press conferences so far I've amped it up as much as you can so hopefully you can hear it but here's Pamadouka and Marco Bustos with their thoughts on the 2 all draw to kick off their Island Games tournament The fighting spirit shown by the team in that second half. What was the message that you gave to the guys at halftime in the locker room?
9: I mean, uh, the message was simple: just stay, stay focused, keep doing your job, and uh, we will, you know, and make better decision making, and make sure that we win second half and win the game. And that's what they did, and they were just unfortunate. And that's part of the football. You know, football is about mistakes, and uh, unfortunately, we made them today, and it cost us. Uh, three points, but take a learning from it. We're very happy with the performance of of all the boys. We're happy with the uh, guys that came in. Zach, you know, he he came in, brought uh, brought energy to the group. Jamar, finally happy to see him on the pitch again, you know, brought energy on the pitch. So overall, I think we can be satisfied with the performance because of, uh, again, people haven't played since over 200 odd days uh, to be able to, to perform like they did. It's, yeah, it's incredible and well done from the boys.
1: We spoke last week about bringing the best out of Marco Bustos. Is that what you're looking for, what you saw from him today in the pitch?
9: I mean, you can tell that uh, Marco is a game changer, Bustos. He he can change games, and also he can play different positions, which we actually put him in there, and he was very effective. So, I mean, it's it's a reason that he's one of the best players in this league, and he showed it today, you know, by scoring a goal and also being uh, productive, so... We're very happy with him, and I know he's only going to get better and better from this uh, from this game forward. So there's more in him which he's going to show. So we're very happy. But as well as for the whole group, like I said, Zach came in, Diaz came in, did a good job. You know, Jamar came in. But overall, the team performance was brilliant. We were just unlucky, and it and it was down to us.
1: Hi, Marco. What what was it like to be back on the pitch again after not playing for for almost ten months?
5: Yeah, it was. Uh, it was a great feeling, you know, to, to go out and, and be able to play at a high level again, play an actual game, not against your teammates, was, uh, was great. You know, it was, it was tough for both sides. And as you can see in, in the tournament so far, all the games have been a tie. So that's, you know, it's, it shows for itself that, that uh, every team, I would imagine, is going to get better as the time goes on and as the games go on. But that's football. And, uh, you know, just, again, like I said, excited to be back playing again.
1: But ask Pa about what he said to the, the team at halftime. As one of the leaders on the team, what was your message to your teammates for that fight back in the second half?
5: Yeah, it was just to go out with the same with the same intensity that uh, that we've been doing in training and that what we know we're about is, is moving the ball to touch moving it quick and play the pass you see and space will open up. And we have those players that, that will create their own chances, but if we keep moving the ball, the other team keeps shifting them, and we're going to create spaces for ourselves. And uh, unfortunately, we did. We got two good goals uh, from open play, and you know that was that was that was the talk at halftime.
1: The thoughts of Pamaduka and Marco Bustos there after Pacific FC's 2 all draw with Halifax Wanderers on Saturday afternoon. Next up for Pacific FC is a game on Tuesday evening. Yes, Tuesday evening, not Tuesday morning as was first scheduled. And we'll come to that in a sec. But they're in action against York 9, who drew their first match on Saturday morning. 2 all against Atletico Ottawa. Atletico Ottawa got off to that great start in that one, 2-0 up but then they went down a man, York stormed back, could have won it late on, Atletico Ottawa looked like they were running on fumes in that one towards the end but they held on, they got a point, first point in the club's history, want to give a, a couple of shout outs in this match as well, Mohamed Karuma was the man that got the very first historic Atletico Ottawa goal three minutes into first half stoppage time before Malcolm Messiah Shaw scored two minutes after the restart to, to kind of have Ottawa and Dreamland. But then Vashon Nouvelle got sent off for a second yellow. 16-year-old Lyle Wright scored an the hour mark for York 9 Then two minutes later, Joseph Dechara tied it up from this spot. We have to also mention Lyle Wright there the youngest ever goal scorer in CPL history. So this was a match, a first of historical moments, and it was a very entertaining game as well. And that game, along with Pacific against Halifax, was shown on CBC. So for anyone that hasn't heard, I mentioned this on our extra podcast that we brought out midweek, the CPL and CBC have come to an agreement to show all the Saturday matches on the CBC platforms. The games pacific times wise kick off at 9 and 12 so the first game is going to be shown in an hour delay at 10 o'clock and then the 12 o'clock game is going to be live over the next three Saturdays to come and then into the second phase as well. You can also see at least one of the Sunday games on Hamilton based station CHCH. Now that doesn't seem to be available in a lot of places in BC but you can watch the games online on chch.com that's what I did this afternoon when I was watching the Forge Edmonton game just put it on my smart tv in the browser made it full screen perfect so that was one of the big announcements from the CPL this week and another big announcement came tonight on Sunday they've listened to the fans they've listened to the media they've also the official line of doing all the technical tests and everything has worked out okay all the midweek matches that were scheduled for morning afternoon kickoffs they're all now going to be in the evening five o'clock kickoffs so folk don't have to worry about missing it live from being at work maybe having the results spoiled a lot more people will now be able to watch these live i'm saying 5 p.m kickoff it's 5 p.m pacific time 9 p.m in atlantic time locally but I think that's great news and hopefully more folk can see it. Still think more games should be on other ways apart from one soccer. I understand all the thing behind that. Won't go into that again, but, but that's it is what it is. So I think the only game we haven't mentioned from the first five is Forge beat Edmonton 2-0 in the last game on Sunday. It was 1-0 Forge still into stoppage time. They made it 2-0. It, it was a good showing but Edmonton. It was their first game on the pitch in 10 months. Kevin Alleman looked sharp. I think he's going to be a good addition for Edmonton, as we spoke about in last week's show. Forge and Cavalry, though, both getting wins today, pulling a little bit ahead of the pack already, albeit having played more games, but I think they've set their stall out already. The worrying thing for Edmonton in this one was Amir Didic had to go off with an ankle injury that looked pretty bad. They're going to kind of evaluate They're hoping it's not going to be as much as it is. The swelling and everything might go down. He might even be available for the El Classico on Thursday against Cavalry. But it did look a sore one. It's a big loss for Edmonton if he is out. He had an outstanding game today. Jeff Paulus talked afterwards about he's the best defender in the CPL. Hard to argue with that. I mean, we saw the Whitecaps take a look at him in this off-season. Hopefully, they'll, they'll do that again if he continues his upward trajectory. But, I mean, he was excellent in the time that he was on the pitch. So, the games are coming thick and fast. It's Pacific against York on Tuesday. Ottawa-Valor on Wednesday. Halifax-Forge on Wednesday. Edmonton-Calvary on Thursday. Then Saturday sees York-9-Valor, Forge-Pacific. Before Sunday, Ottawa against Edmonton and Cavalry against Halifax-Wanderers. We'll be looking at all the main talking points from those matches in next week's show, but that is pretty much it for this week's show. We can't go, of course, without bringing you this week's wavelength, and I'm just bringing you up a little bit of for a fun one this week. All the talk's been about Alfonso Davies, his great performance for Bayern, that wonderful assist that he got in one of the goals, playing against his childhood hero Messi, and his team thrashing Barcelona eight two so this is a song that was doing the rounds on YouTube a few months back. It's from the kind of animated music website 442 Tunes. That's 442 with an O-O-N-S. Give them a like and subscribe and a follow. They have some really funny stuff, some really good stuff there. This is just a song that they brought out all about Alfonso Davies. So I thought, hey, let's finish with a bit of fun. Let's bring you that song just now.
6: Yo, it's Alfonso Davies The best thing to come out of Canada since Drake And Justin Bieber Let's go! beating down the wheel As fast as my legs would carry me, now I'm tearing up the turf for XCP of Germany. leading down the wing at the speed of light, I got lightning in my boots. My future moves get right I'm running faster than a racehorse and an F-40 fighter. Lightning games up in the Bundesliga. Tick follows talk, follows tick. It's so much fun. Tick follows talk, follows tick. I'm number one. Tick follows talk, follows tick. Under the sun. I'm so rapid, don't you think? Take a blink, I'm gone! Spinning down the wing at the speed of light i got the light, and in my boots My future's looking right I'm running faster than a hedgehog, oh, yeah, yeah
1: the Alfonso Davies song from 4-4-Tunes. As I said, give them a follow on YouTube. There's some really fun stuff out there. But that is it for this week's show. As always, thank you so much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. Nice little mix of MLS and CPL stuff for you this week. We will be back next Sunday. We'll have a couple of Whitecaps games to talk about. The Island Games is continuing on PEI as well. Who knows what other news we'll have to bring you. I've been Michael McCall. You can follow me on Twitter at AFT in Canada, on YouTube at AFT in Canada, and on Instagram at AFT in Soccer. Until next time, thanks for listening. Take care and on the caps. Going to your first match is an experience you never forget.